0: O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's Psalm 8, which along with Psalm 47 of the Psalms appointed for today, Ascension Day, Thursday, May the 26th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. I want to welcome you along. Thank you for being here. I started this podcast actually several years ago on Ascension Day. I had some reflections that I wanted to make that day that, that seemed important to me, and so I put together a podcast, and I, and I sent it out to some friends and, and just to two or three people and said, take a listen to this and see what you think. Give me your feedback. And and people encouraged me. (laughs) So I I sort of haltingly started doing some podcasts back then. And then uh, it became sort of a a routine for me, a discipline that I took on myself because it keeps me in the Word of God. And so I do this um, not for you. (laughs) I do it for me um, because it keeps me—it makes my life different because I do it. So I, I appreciate the fact that you listen. Um, but I do it largely because God told me to. <laughs> and, and so I, I don't measure success or failure or whatever with respect to this. I do it as an act of obedience. It's my way of seeking first the kingdom of God. So um, in, in the today, it's Ascension Day. It's the day that Jesus uh, uh, left the earth for the final time before he comes back <clears throat> in judgment. And so we, we celebrate this, and, and so it, it's something that most people, most traditions, don't pay any attention to, to be honest with you. But the reality is it's really important, because unless he ascends to the Father, then we don't receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can't come until Jesus is with the Father, at the right hand of the Father, and and then things can change for us. We can have hope before that, but now we can have the Holy Spirit. We can have God living inside of us. <laughs> and so it's an important moment in time because that that the ascension the leaving of earth makes possible the outpouring of the spirit and, and we see the ascension in the—we the, see it from a heavenly perspective in the in the gospel lesson that we read today and then in, also in the book of Acts in the first chapter there. But the other place where we can see heaven's view of the ascension is, is in Revelation 5 when the Lamb, looking like it was slain, appears before the throne of God and is able to take the scroll that's sealed with seven seals that no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was found who could take that scroll until this— lamb, looking like it was slain, appears before the throne. And so that's when judgment can begin. That's when the end can begin. The end is a process. Judgment is a process. There's a time delay between when it's announced in heaven and when it's enacted on earth. And so we're in that in-between time. But, but that's the end of the ascension is Revelation 5. So if you want to know what it looks like once Jesus goes into the clouds, then the next thing that happens is Revelation 5. So here in the first lesson from Ezekiel, we get, we get a view from the Old Testament of God's throne, and it's an uncertain vision in some ways because nobody knew the identity of the one who's seated on the throne here, because I believe that it's Jesus that he's seeing, not the Father. Because the way that he describes him and then the way that he describes the Father in other places. So, and the living creatures darted to and fro, like the appearance of a flash of lightning. And the living creatures, we're told in Revelation 4, there are four living creatures around the throne. And they give glory and honor to the one seated on the throne. And then ultimately, when the Lamb comes, then they lead the praise and worship of the Lamb. So, and when they, the living creatures, went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty. And when we see in multiple places where God speaks, it sounds like the roar of many waters. And so when they beat their wings, it sounds like that, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. So it's a fearsome kind of a sound. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And then there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And so we're told that two different times. And why do they let down their wings? Well, it's in order that the noise of their wings not overwhelm the voice of the speaker. What's more important it's the voice of the one speaking. And above the expanse of their heads, there was a likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire and seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance and upward from what had the appearance of his waist. So he sees the face The appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And this image looks like the beginning of Revelation 1 as well, when John sees Jesus. And from down, it, was, it had the appearance of fire, and there was brightness all around him. So it's the, the light, the, the transfiguration light. It, it, Jesus is that light, down, um, and the appearance of the bow that's in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. And when we get a description of the throne in um, Revelation 4, it says, He who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and all around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And so it, we, we see these same visions from John and from Ezekiel. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. And and it's the, the same reaction that John has, is to fall on his face. And it's the same reaction that when the angels proclaim the one seated on the throne, it's the same reaction Of the 24 elders seated around the throne is to fall on their faces and throw their crowns on the ground and and proclaim him. They realize that, yeah, I have a crown, but compared to him, it's absolutely nothing at all. And so that's the revelation and the recognition of Jesus in the heavenly court. In the gospel today, we get the end of Matthew's gospel. It's chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. That's horrifying <laughs> to read that, that some doubted. But you can understand why it would be. They, they doubted all along through this thing until the Holy Spirit's given in the all then spoke with power and conviction and absolute certainty about the truth. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority is. In heaven and on earth has been given to me." So think about that statement, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Well, remember the temptation that Satan put before him, which is to show him all the kingdoms of the earth and offer him to, to have that, all those kingdoms, if he'll only bow down and worship Satan. And Jesus refuses to do that. But here he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, those kingdoms still exist, but Jesus has an authority even over those kingdoms of earth that transcends the power of the rulers of those kingdoms. Whether those are spiritual powers or earthly powers, Jesus's power transcends that power. So he didn't want the kingdoms, he wanted the power over the kingdom. And that's what he ends up with here. He says, go, therefore, because I have authority, I'm commanding you to go and make disciples of all nations. I have all authority in heaven and earth, and I'm commanding you and giving you some of that authority, because he's going to say that in a minute. I'm giving you some of that authority to go preach and make disciples of all nations, because I have all authority on earth irrespective of what king might sit on that throne or what angelic being might be given spiritual authority over those places. So you just go everywhere. Don't leave places out because it's wicked there. Go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey all I've commanded Obviously, you. So you're going to disciple them, you're going to baptize them, and you're going to teach them to obey all that I've commanded you, which is exactly what Moses told told the people in Deuteronomy 8, when we looked at that on Monday of this week, that he he wanted them to obey all the commandments, not just some of them, all of them. And and that's exactly what Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he didn't just send us, and in the same way that Moses was sent— God said, I'm going to be with you. And then he was visibly present with them in the wilderness, in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Jesus is visibly present with us as well. So long as we're going about doing this work, then we will see Jesus acting through the power of the Holy Spirit to do the same kinds of things Jesus did in his earthly ministry. We'll see people healed. We'll see these things happen. There will be a tangible, visible sign of his presence with us so long as we're obedient to the call that he's given us to do. And, and it's important that he go with us because we can't accomplish anything without his Spirit. Nothing of significance can be accomplished without Jesus' Spirit in this work. So we acknowledge that he is on the throne. We know that. We see that in Revelation 5. We know where Jesus is. We know that he's coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. But right now, we worship him as the one seated at the right hand of the Father on his throne. In uh, the book of Hebrews, the reading today is from chapter 2, verses 5 through 18. The argument, the main argument of the book of Hebrews is that, that we are in an exodus of our own. We're, we're, ex, we're, we're exiles and aliens and strangers on the earth. Our true citizenship is in heaven. And so we are in process of that exodus so long as we are in our earthly bodies. Until the day of our death, we are working out that exodus, moving towards the promised land that awaits us. The argument that he makes through all this is is that Jesus is superior to anything else that you would even think about worshiping, which is exactly what we see as being true in that passage from Revelation 5, where not, no one is found in heaven or on earth or under the earth who is worthy of open, of taking the scroll and opening that scroll until the Lamb appears. And so the superiority of Jesus, the uniqueness of Jesus, is the thing we celebrate more than anything else today. So he goes on to say here, the right of Hebrews does, for it's not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking. We may not see Jesus possessing all authority in heaven and on earth, because from our perspective, it doesn't look that way. It looks like Satan's having his way. It looks like, you know, whoever is having their way on the earth, and yet Yet it's true, and we know that all of this is ultimately subjected to him, and we know that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some confess that now and are saved. Others confess it later in judgment when they see the truth and acknowledge it. But all will ultimately acknowledge that. So it's not an angel that you see on that throne. He said, it's been testified somewhere, and this is quoting um, Psalm 8, what is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? And the son of man is the way Jesus is referred to until after the resurrection. Until then, he is the son of man, and after that, he is the son of God. In our eyes, he was always the son of God. That didn't change. His status didn't change. But in his earthly life, he was a son of man. He was subject to the same things that we're subjected to. He was truly man, is the point of that. And he becomes the son of God because he's no longer subject to temptation, no longer subject to any form of weakness at all. He is fully God, so he is the son of God outside his earthly existence. He says, you made him, the son of man, for a little while lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor putting everything in subjection under his feet. So David sees prophetically in that psalm a time when all things will be put in subjection under the feet of the Son of Man. And the writer's quick to say, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. So when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, it's, that's exactly what the writer here is saying. He left nothing outside his control. At present, however, we don't yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of his death. And, and Jesus says, now is the time come for, to be, for the Son of Man to be glorified. And the glorification is a process. It begins at at Calvary. The glorification begins there when he fulfills all the righteous commands of the law and dies a righteous man. And that's important that he die a righteous man. But then, in addition to dying as the only righteous man who ever lived, only perfectly righteous man ever to live, that's part of the glorification process, but it doesn't look like glory at that moment because you can imagine, How horrifying it would be to see this one on the cross. But he does so and perseveres all the way to the end when he prays for those who are persecuting and crucifying him. So he carries that all the way to the end. So he's crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. That's part of the glorification process. It's part of the perfection process of Jesus, that he passes through horrendous and horrific temptation as he's there on the cross, and people are taunting him and mocking him, telling him to come down if you're truly the Son of God. You saved others, now save yourself. No, and that's the the most appalling and, and powerful time of temptation is right there on the cross, and he passed the test. And that's the first part of the glorification. And then the resurrection is part two and the ascension. And the taking of the scrolls is the final part of it until his coming again, when all those knees will bow and every tongue will confess. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it's fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, quoting what he says in the beginning of this epistle and also quoting John 1, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. He passed all the tests inherent in his time of suffering in a way that no one ever has. He says, for he who sanctifies and those who sanctify, Jesus is the one who sanctifies, those who are sanctified is us, have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell you, of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. The source is God the Father, and he brings us to glory with him and makes us, gives us the right to become children of God. We were before that creatures of God. We were created in the likeness of God, yep, absolutely, but we're not children of God until we're adopted into the family by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to give other examples of how Jesus is like us. Again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. He's very clear over who has the power of death. And what is the power of death? Well, it's the power of judgment. It's the power of finality, or what appears to be final, and then deliver those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. So we can begin and end with the fear of death, or we can begin with the fear of death and then turn that, through the power of the cross, to the fear of God, who has given us salvation in His Son, Jesus Christ. And that fear then becomes worship. It becomes joyous worship. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, was Jesus merciful before the incarnation? Was he faithful before the incarnation? Yes, he was. But now... We can look on him differently because he has suffered the way we were. He made himself subject to us and to all the laws of creation, to all the, the, um, the, the men who would come after him and persecute him. And he, he has a different sort of mercy in our eyes because he was one of us and passed through this life without sin. And so we see the man on the cross. It's a powerful, powerful image because he came like us in order that we might become like him and that we might share with him in his eternal inheritance. He made propitiation for the sins of the people. He is the sacrifice that God has appointed for the forgiveness of sins for once and for all. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And so we rely on the Holy Spirit who is able to help us in our temptation if we stop, take a deep breath, and ask.